What? Just a sec? Just a sec. What are you doing? Just pulling this thing up. Oh, the thing. The, the thing. text. The text. The text. What? You didn't have the cue card guy put it on the cue card? No. What? I forgot. Well, this is a last one of those last minute ad on things you always do. <laughs> it's 9.03 a.m. Saturday, September 12th, 2020. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's Stephen and Diane. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> I think it's, it's the, all, all the particulate matter. It, it makes it hard to sustain yeah. it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's pretty... It's, it's a lovely brown Saturday here in, in the, at the treehouse. I meant the, the air is brown. The rest, of the, the rest of the day is not bad, though. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? I would say that's true. Yeah. But... We are living in an era of extremes. We are living in an era of extremes, and it's kind of daunting to look outside but at the same time it's not as bad as looking at pictures of san francisco golden yeah. gate bridge right. the orange sky down there oh my god yeah uh, i remember days like this up in the methow and they do clear off yes sounds like maybe tuesday we're supposed to have some rain thank god for rain well that'll help some yeah could use a good you know, a breeze from somewhere that ain't got fires in it, which may be, you know, maybe the west. But the smoke tends to go out over the ocean before it comes back in on us. So yeah. Follows the jet stream. But you know, the house looks nice. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I feel I'm well fed and I am doing work that I would never have imagined that I would be doing at this point in my life uh, with a kind of commitment because of obligation, which is perfect, that I would never have, uh, I would never have imagined to come along with uh, a period of time that is so fraught on so many levels, you know? Yeah. Um, so it feels there's a strange kind of, these odd pulls and pushes in your soul, for lack of a better word, uh, that are really unprecedented in my life, at least in my experience. Just, and they're subtle. Sometimes some of them are subtle, and some of them are just you know as present as the particulate matter in the air. You know? Well, and when you think about the archetypal and metaphoric levels upon which we are standing. I know. It just, uh, it, it can't help but affect you all across the emotional spectrum. <laughs> it does. Mm -hmm. It does indeed. Because, well, one of the things that I thought was so fascinating, and I have to pull something else up that was not on the cue cards because... Resource, resource person here. The, uh, this is the research and development department <laughs> of Bill and Diane Enterprises. Well... Audio Blog Incorporated. I just ordered... Copyright 2020. I ordered a magazine that I never have even heard of. It's uh, it's through the National Geographic. Uh, it's National Geographic History. Mm -hmm. And I haven't gotten my first issue yet, but 
one of the the are we talking about a print magazine a print magazine a print we're going to get a print magazine you have to remind me about that because usually everything that comes printed in our mailbox i immediately throw into the trash because it's just some catalog from some company that we've told 10 times we don't want your catalog anymore if you want us to keep buying your stuff don't waste paper on us please well they just don't listen I just, uh, National Geographic, I think you'll be able to recognize it, but. Does it have the yellow cover? Like. Yeah. It's not, but it's not the regular magazine? It's the, it's history. Okay. All right. National Geographic History Print Magazine. I had never heard of it, came across this, and, and one of the comments had something that I thought was so fascinating, which was, uh, this person who had read the magazine said, I'm learn- I love learning new stuff. For example, did you know that the reason Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin and her friends were stuck inside the house telling ghost stories was due to the bizarre weather in 1816? The year before, the Mount Tambora volcano erupted in Indonesia, releasing vast amounts of ash, rock, and sulfuric dust into the air. Reports of odd weather came in from all quarters in 1816. The year 1816 became the year without a summer, and without that volcano, there would have been no Frankenstein. Cool. Written. So I was thinking, we don't even know about all the <laughs> the configurations of weird things that have happened to people throughout history. Uh, but you're saying that things like this have happened before, and... We're just going to tough it out because that's what people do. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? There is. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true, no, isn't it? No alternative. So we might as well get our fun where we can, don't you think? I agree. We might as well just say, if this isn't nice, what is? We're, we've, we've got a full belly, <laughs> a roof over our heads. and We're doing work that we never imagined ourselves being able to yeah, do, exactly. although we dreamed of it our whole lives. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. I have never paid so much attention to my own poetry, ever. I am looking at it with eyes that, for some uh, unknown reason to me, have gained a certain amount of expertise. I look Age, back, maybe? Well, <laughs> one can only assume. And uh, perhaps reading other poets for a lifetime? Perhaps, and being immersed in that whole kind of oeuvre. For an, for an entire lifetime, yes. I would say that that might be it, but I don't I think I've ever uh, given it enough attention to notice that, hey, I, I'm not bad at this. I'm better at this than I used to be, you know, or whatever. Even if it's just looking with a critical eye on that one line in a piece that forever has just troubled me is not quite having it and then finding the word, right? Looking back on something that's, you know, five or six or two or... 20 years old and making a change to it because it makes it better. You know, I did not have that kind of critical eye when I wrote it. But luckily I still have everything. And most of the things that I wrote and turned into something formalized, like retyped and gave a title to and stuff like that, took it out of my notebook. I, with all of those things, there was, a, there was something. And that's why it seemed worth saving at the time. I, it's, there was something. So even in, though you have a reject file, you don't really. I never threw. I never throw I anything never in the Delete trash. my reject file. No. No. Anyway, it's weird, but it's good, and it's troubling <laughs> because you know all of everything is all of that and more right now. 
everything has that kind of panoramic emotional uh, content. So it hasn't been well, a hectic I... week. Oh. <laughs> I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. I was about to say what happened to the conversation just then, and then I realized, oh yeah, yeah, ham and eggs. This is usually the place where Bill says it's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine. Wouldn't you say? Over to you, Diane. You don't have to. Put it no, over that's okay. To me, Beth, that's okay. This has become this has become a segment. Pardon me, I'm gonna have another drink of coffee. I know. I, I, I had no idea it had become a segment. You boy. Until that pause happened. That's good coffee. And there was, there was supposed to be I something just, there, and it wasn't there. I'm just, I'm just waiting for, the, for, for the usual. It's funny how that happens. It has been a hectic week, and uh, the thing that was interesting for me is that I actually spoke to my supervisor yesterday about my plans for retirement and and uh, I didn't think I would talk to her so early on but she actually asked me she said you're not going to be retiring this year are you (laughs) so uh, well I think her her uh, her uh, viewpoint on what work has been like for her people yeah. During this time is probably uniquely, uh, uh, obs- you know, obs- she has an observer's role and she's got to be seeing people are, you know, kind of fragmented right now. Yeah. And so. Well, and it was so wonderful to talk to her because, man, I mean, I've spoken about her before. She is the best supervisor I've ever had, even though I've had some gems in my life and mm-hmm. I've had some real uh, bad supervisors in my life but I think that the reason why it's been such a, a lovely connection is because she didn't know everything when she came into this job and so she relies on me a lot yeah. but she never felt threatened by me and never made me feel bad for helping to teach her you know well i think the the, i think the roles were clear right from the start because i think you probably helped her to articulate them for herself right and uh, you're in a unique relationship with her which allows her to be the best possible supervisor for you because she is in the program with you i mean you've had this idea about how you want to leave your job and the kind of the legacy piece of it and how to pass on the in, the knowledge and information. And I think when you're, m- you know, moving into the ABC shared services kind of uh, workday environment, you know, it demands that you have to have, you have to be able to install all of that information into the network, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because but the thing that was so wonderful, because my, my supervisor is in her mid thirties. She's, she is not one of those people that comes in as a young person and just says, let's chop out all the old people from this group. You know, she really recognized the value that everybody held for this group. And so the thing that amazed me is when she said, you're not going to retire this year, are you? She said, you know, I've been thinking, man, you know, the, the burden that you've had this summer, I, I wouldn't blame you for wanting to get out as soon as you could. And I said, no, I, you know, I knew it wasn't, 
planned that all these things would happen that created this amount of work. But it's been a, an interesting time for me because a lot of my friends do not have that. A lot of my friends have had a pretty dismal yeah. uh, last few years of their job. And ha- I have known several of my friends who have been forced out before they were ready. Right. And that really is even more bothersome about the way that older people are treated within their jobs. So I feel very fortunate that I've had this um, last piece of my my years of working. Yeah. But, um, but I even presented her my whole concept of maybe working 40% after retirement. And um, so it was a really wonderful conversation. And and that was, uh, and especially right now, because it is another busy time and it does feel like, you know, will I make it to the end of this race yeah. sometimes, yeah. but this isn't as bad as it was in July. So, so that was the work report, yeah. which must happen every week, apparently. But of course, that's part of our, your work life has become part of our home life in a very uh, unavoidable and interesting and intricate kind of way yet i find myself reading more than i have read in a long long time which fascinates me because for a long time i was having trouble reading because uh i read so much on on my job i'm constantly focusing on a computer screen and you know a lot of text and lots of thought to Uh, do as much as I do within short periods of time. So a lot of times I'm so exhausted by the end of the day, I don't really want to read. But lately, and I I really do attribute it to the times we're living in and and this feeling that I am on the last lapse of my race, I start feeling like, I can take the time. And also because I don't have the commute and all that. I think we we don't uh, allow enough consideration to the amount of time and things involved with commuting to work from the getting up and showering every day to you know picking the clothing and getting all that together getting your breakfast together getting your lunch together getting yourself together getting out the door getting to the bus stop getting on the bus riding for 45 minutes into work walking the rest of the way you know all that kind of stuff that that's a huge part of your day and it's a huge part of your uh stress load because you have all these little boxes you have to check off well and also because there's a time element if you miss the bus if you miss so that so that the facts and realities of the commute are always part of your day always in your head whether you're you know at work and going to be there for eight hours or not you're it's that it's part of the whole stew so i think in general that adds about four hours to your day i would say minimum it's about four hours of time that is unclaimed yeah just because of the what is involved with the commute and that's what's made it so pleasant to be in this circumstance right now even though it's you know so different uh but to do the teleworking has has been a very nice situation for me mm-hmm. but I've been reading, I continue to read Vonnegut, and I have also been reading this this book by Rebecca Solnit um, called Call Them By Their True Names. 
And it is really a fascinating book. I got it for a particular essay that she had written that I had read, and I wanted to keep that essay in a print version. Uh, But it was fascinating this morning. I was reading a poem that our cousin Annie Annie, Annie had had posted. And I'm not going to read the poem, because, but uh, it was about 9-11 and about how people really became a united force during uh, 9-11. And one of the people that was commenting on the poem said, I'm always somber on this day, but this year is hitting hard. We were so united because of that day, but today we are not, and it makes me immensely sad. I'm curious what people think is the reason for the difference, the root cause of so much division. Is it greed, power, media, corruption, apathy, trauma, manipulation, politics? And I, it made me think of this article that I, that was in, because the Call Them by Their True Names is just a collection of a lot of her essays. Right. And she is an amazing Mind. I've mentioned her before for a book called The Far Away Nearby, which had so stunned me with the beauty of the writing and the impact of the content. And that is the same for this, I, uh, this essay, which was called The Ideology of Isolation, which was interesting to me, even in its title, because when I first started reading it, we are in this isolation right of the quarantine, but this was written um, long before then, 2013 or something like that. Anyway, but I thought it was so fascinating because she said, and and you can, I I don't really care about the political part of this. I'm just thinking about the, the ideas of this. If you boil the strange soup of contemporary right-wing ideology down to a sort of bouillon cube, you find the idea that things are not connected to other things, that people are not connected to other people, and they are all better off unconnected. The core values are individual freedom and individual responsibility, yourself for yourself on your own. And then in the article, she points out that this doesn't even correspond to what we see in nature. So she continues in a different part of the article, You can't survive without taking air into your lungs. You didn't give birth to or raise yourself. You won't bury yourself. And in between, you won't produce most of the goods and services you depend upon to live. Your gut is full of microorganisms without which you could not digest all the plants and animals, likely grown by other people, on which you rely to survive. We are nodes on intricate systems, synapses snapping on a great collective brain we are in it together for better or worse there is of course such a thing as society and you're inside it beyond that beneath it and above and around and within it and us there is such a thing as ecology the systems within which our social systems exist and with which it often clashes and I just, it's a powerful article because then it goes into the uh, why that whole disconnect from thinking that everything is interconnected leads to a lot of the ills in our society, including climate 
change that we are undergoing and um, because you're not that you're basically saying your freedom is more important to you than the interconnectedness of all things mm -hmm. and you can't get away from it it's not like you can just say oh no I'm you know I am totally free but I have known so many people in my life who want to make that claim who want to say I am a self-made it's usually self-made man. I haven't heard many women say I'm a self-made woman. Mm -hmm. um, and I always feel like, why would that be important? You know, why do you feel like that you did everything on your own and you didn't have anybody help you is some sort of statement of superiority? Because, uh, and... And Rebecca Solnit actually says in her article that women are more wanting to interconnect because of our very, uh, you know, our genetic coding almost, that we feel like that families and, and groups and how we interconnect is really important. But uh, that article has really powerfully impacted me this week and particularly with all the things that are happening yeah. because I feel like um, that that idea I am alone and I am the only person who can do all these things I always feel like wow that's it's always been something that bothered me about movies too when it's only one hero who saves the day. I always feel like that's not the way I see life working. I've never seen just one person saving everything. I see a bunch of people who work together to make something happen. Because I think even when you think about, for example, you watch a movie and you'll, you're always very aware of who the director was and who the actors were, but there's a, when you look at the credits, there is a, you know, hundreds of people who contributed to that movie. And yes, you're seeing these faces, but you're not seeing all the, the small elements that if they were not there, the movie would not have been the same uh, glorious thing that you think it is. For example, for me, the music of the movie it, I I always pay attention to who the composers are of the soundtrack because I always think if it's going to be, you know, one of the ones that uh, that I think Thomas Newman or Rachel Portman or John Williams, you you, you pretty much know it's going to be a good movie if they're writing the soundtrack. Right. So. Oh, what's the guy's name from Wingo Bungo? Oh, uh, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a great soundtrack person too t-bone burnett is also a good one yeah it's like these we've got all these things that are happening to all of us it's like in your dysfunctional family your family is not dysfunctional necessarily but there are parts of it that you just don't go to because <laughs> you know you're not going to agree that's how our society is supposed to be working that's right that's how democracy is supposed to work we come together for to form a government to handle the things that affect all of us. We're not there to argue about who's right and who's wrong ideologically. That is stupid. That's, that's a never-ending quagmire that will right. never be resolved. It's like 
there's these arguments have these polarities to them that are just absurd and there is no winning. There is no winning. There, nobody is ever going to be able to convince everybody else to think the way they do. And the reason that you have these hero stories is because inbaked in every one of us on a cellular, genetic, uh, primal level is an understanding that we are unique on the earth. And all of us are. That's right. And so we want to make a mark with our uniqueness that other people can see. I don't think that's, I think that's a fundamental thing. And I think all those hero movies or heroine movies are all just an, an embodiment of that part of us that, you know, yearns for that, to, be un, to, to express our uniqueness into the world. But it's, it's a perversion of it in, in a lot of ways, but it's also something that we all respond to on some level because it's part of us. Well, but, I always think about my work team that is the best team I've ever had in mm -hmm. my life right now. I was going to say, when you were talking about that, yeah. one of the thing that makes your group so unique and makes Maria such a great manager is that the hiring, the assemblage, has been based on how well you interact with each other. That's right. It's easy to teach somebody the tasks of the job. You need to know that you can work with this person. And that's really, I've, it's unique in my observation that your team, the way it was put together by Shelley in the beginning, was based not just on someone's work ethic or their knowledge of the subject matter, but on their personality and how that personality worked with the other personalities that were already in the group. So you've got this magical group of people who are like, like-minded in so many ways. Well, but also what I had said to Maria yesterday when I was talking to her is I said, we all, when we are interviewing somebody, we have often said that we each have our own superpowers. So there is, uh, all of us have our section that we really are great at. Right either because it was part of our personality or part of our knowledge base coming in, whatever it is, we know that in our group that we can rely. I have a problem with a staff situation. I'm going to go to Chris. He has a problem with faculty or graduate students. He's going to come to me. We have different people who have learned the different, because you can't know it all. Right. You cannot, but you can have a group that knows the generalities and then somebody who's specializing in that. And that's the way our society has developed so far. You know, we have certain people who are uh, fantastic bakers. We have certain people and they love to bake and they always want to bake. There are pre people like me who are terrific at organizing and I always want to organize. I always want to do that. And, and I can, transfer that to different areas but i'm still going to want to do that thing mm -hmm. and instead of being somebody who's like out in the just trying to do what you can do about everything in your life grow your own food get your own water do that you know it just our society develops so that we all have these specialized occupations and to think that that's why that article struck me so much was to think that you are divorced from every other element of your life that is uh, is fostering your good work on this earth. You know that 
I am not the person who grows my food. I am not the person who produces the electricity in the house. I am not the person who makes sure that the water is clean. Or that the internet I'm, is working right. The internet, you know, that we all have our functions. And to say, yes, I, I am the person who can do it just seems ridiculous. Yeah. So. I am Bill of the Mountain. <laughs> and that is why I was thinking about the music for today. Because yeah. of that strain of thought, I had no knowledge of what we were going to do for music. But, but it made me think about the fact that we don't grow our own food. And we don't pick our own food. We don't food. transport, we our, don't own transport food. our own food. Yeah. We don't make sure that everything is is viable for eating our own food yeah Yeah, so it made me remember the the song pastors of plenty that is basically bringing up these people that are disrespected in our society to show that if they weren't there you wouldn't have your you know your fine sparkling wines you wouldn't have the the food that is on your table and as I was looking through, uh, because then I thought, oh, I, Woody Guthrie. Uh, and I know that you are a huge Woody Guthrie fan, so I didn't think that would be a hard sell for today. Nope. Um, but I was trying to find a, a version of Pastors of Plenty that, uh, that I would really like. But then I thought, well, what about other Woody Guthrie songs? And I... So I was just looking up titles, and there was one called I Ain't Got No Home, and I was thinking about all these people who have been burned out of their homes. Or forced out by economic reasons. Or forced out. And I was thinking about what Kat said about her father, that she never knew about her father's Dust Bowl story until they went to a Woody Guthrie tribute of some sort, and when... Uh, when Pastors of Plenty was sung, that he just broke down and wept. And that Kat said to her mother, what's what's going on with dad? Because her dad was not like a, a sentimental... He wasn't a weeper? He was not a weeper. <laughs> and, and her mom said, well, you know, he was there. And Kat had never known this story. But it was just that idea of the disrespect that people have after they have lost everything. because And that's why, for me, the biggest problem we have is this idea that because you somehow have followed a pattern of pursuing riches, pursuing money and making money and getting money, that that is how we have weighed the balance of a human life I don't believe that at all, never have. And uh, it becomes more evident to me all the time the folly of that that very idea. Right, who are the essential workers? Yeah, exactly. The least paid among us are the essential workers. That's right. right. And the ones who are, you know, risking their lives more than we, any of us ever have to. You know, it's like, how did we get so out of balance in terms of appreciating what's, what's real in life, you know? The freedom to make money is stands on the backs of all those people. That freedom is achieved at the expense of all of those people. 
And not only that, but the Vonnegut reading that I've been doing has also brought that up because he has, and this was in the 1960s and 70s that he was often writing about this very thing of when you take away a person's right and ability to work, they lose their self-respect. And so he was basically saying when the machines take over as they will, you must come up with a way that people can keep their self-respect that is outside of that. So he was even seeing back then how important it was. So we are all in the position at any time of our lives, in my mind, of losing everything we have. Yep. It's, it's so much, we're walking on the thin... <laughs> line of a razor all the time and for us to look down upon people who've lost everything because i've been a man uh, chris and lisa who live in bonnie lake um they were just just shy of of uh, having to evacuate this week and they did evacuate for a day just because it was so such a terrifying experience of the fire but for us, we immediately were thinking, what would happen, you know, not only to our friends, but everything that our friends have their tentacles out in the community about, you know, I just, that was when it really, it just hits home so powerfully, the interconnectedness of everything. And we must find a way to get out of this delusion that we have, in my mind, about wealth we've got to start thinking about wealth being our friendships our community how we can all develop our own superpowers contribute them to a community not just so that we can get more and more and more for ourselves mm-hmm. but anyway that's that's why i thought about woody guthrie and and i would and love you, you found, to talk and you found this uh, tribute album that was a couple of concerts that were recorded in 1967 and 1970, I think. One of them in Carnegie Hall and the other one in the Los Angeles Bowl that featured just an amazing array of human beings from Bob Dylan and Judy Collins and Joan Baez and Tom Paxton and Robert Ryan and Will Gear and Studs Terkel and, you know, just, you know, this who's who of a particular era of folk music, Pete Seeger, Arlo Guthrie, um, Odetta, Richie Havens, uh, they all came together to do these tributes, tribute concerts after Woody Guthrie passed. And uh, I remember seeing an, an edited version of it on PBS when I was a little kid. And then I saw it again. They replayed it when I was in high school. I don't know what the deal was, but it was when, that's when I really, that's when I started buying all the Bound for Glory and you know all the Woody Guthrie books and, um, and just, immerse myself and it was around the time maybe it was they replayed it because of the of the movie with David Carradine playing or the Bound for Glory movie that might have been it but anyway uh, this tribute concert was amazing when I saw it and then a few years ago I found that there wasn't actually an album that had a lot more because the concert was much longer than what the I'd seen on PBS and I had a cassette I had because when I saw that it, they were going to be replaying it when I was in high school I brought my cassette recorder down, a little radio shack with a condenser microphone and set it up on a stool in front of the TV and recorded the 
thing onto my cassette player so I could listen back to it. And it was a very amazing performance. So Well, you, and the I listened to This Land is Your Land at, because it was the last song. I was not anticipating what it would do to piece, me. The narration that Will Gear oh, comes in God, with. God, I just Yeah, that was that was amazing. It I literally just started weeping. Yeah. Because of what is going on right now, you know? Yeah. I just feel like we must learn to respect each other. We must remember to respect each other. Yeah. Well. We know how to respect people. We know how to do it. Because yeah. there are people that we respect. But everybody deserves it. Everybody deserves it. I ain't got no home, I'm just a rambling round. I work when I can get it, I roam from town to town. Police make it hard, boys, wherever I may go. I ain't got no home in this world anymore. I was farming shares and always I was down My debts, they was so many, my pay wouldn't go around Drought got my crop, Mr. Banker I ain't got no home in this world anymore Six children I have raised, they're scattered and my darling wife, to heaven she is from. She died of the fever, yes, I ain't got no home in this world anymore. I mind in your minds and I gather in your corn. I've been working, Mr. I worry all the time like I never did before Cause I ain't got no home in this world anymore Well now I just ramble around to see what I can see it's a wide, wicked world, sort of funny place to me. Gambling man is rich and the working man is poor. I ain't got no home in this world. Well, I'm stranded on this road that goes from sea to sea. Honor thousand others. Hundred thousand others, yes, and hundred thousand more. I ain't got no home in this world anymore. 
It's a mighty hard road that my poor hands have hold. My poor feet has traveled a hot, dusty road out of your dust. Your deserts was hot and your mountains was cold. I worked in your orchards of peaches and prunes, slept on the ground by the light of your at the edge of your cities, you will see us and then We come with the dust, and we're gone with the wind California, Arizona, I made all your crops And it's north up to Oregon to harvest your hops Pick the beads from your ground, pick the grapes from your vines To set on your table your light sparkling wine It's green pastures of plenty from dry desert ground from the Grand Coulee Dam, where our waters run down, every state in this union, us migrants, has been. And we'll work in this fight, and we'll fight until we win. And it's always we've rambled this river and I. All along your green valleys I will work till I die And this land I'll defend with my life if need be Oh, my pastures of plenty must always be free Land is my land, California to the New York Island, from the redwood forests to the Gulf Stream water. This land belongs to you and me. As I went Think that you're not any good. 
I hate a song makes you think you're just born to lose, bound to lose. No good to nobody, no good for nothing. Because you're either too old or too young or too fat or too thin or too ugly or too this or too that. Songs that run you down or songs that poke fun at you on account of your bad luck or your hard traveling. I am out to fight those kind of songs to my very last breath of air and my last drop of blood. I'm out to sing songs that'll prove to you that this is your world and that if it's hit you pretty hard and knocked you down for a dozen loops, no matter how hard it's run you down and rolled over you, no matter what color, what size you are, how you're built, I am out to sing the songs that'll make you take pride in yourself. As I went walking, I saw a sign there and on the sign it said no trespassing but on the other side it didn't say nothing that side was made for you and me Let's go. 